I have a question for you this morning. Who are you? Have you ever had someone ask you that question? Who are you? Not who do you think you are, but, but have you ever had somebody ask say that to you? Who do you think? No, who are you? Who am I? This last week, it was kind of, it was kind of funny. About a couple weeks ago, we got a call from this person who puts together, um, Johnson Ranch Living Magazine. For those of you that live in Johnson Ranch, I don't know if you get this in your mail, um, but we got a call and a person nominated Haley and Wesley and I to be the feature family. And so we're going to be the cover of this Johnson Ranch Living and telling our story of what brought us out to Santan Valley. And, and, and so they sent us this questionnaire that just basically asked, who are you? Tell us your story. And they asked lots of questions about our family and what brought us to Johnson Ranch and why we moved here and what do we like about the community and all this stuff. And, and it was really fun for Haley and I to sit together and answer all these questions and to, to talk about when we got together and what brought the two of us together and her version of the story compared to my version of the story. And, and basically she wanted to put in there, I didn't let her to put, put it in there, but she wanted to put, um, if you want to know the truth, just ask me. You know, when it came to how we met and how we dated and how we ended up getting married. But it, it was just a really fun moment to answer that question, who... Who am I? Who are we as the Nun family? We're in this series this summer called The Journey. And, and what I've asked each of you was to participate with us in saying, okay, these, this summer, these next few months, we're going to just laser focus our lives and our family into answering this question, on what what could God do in me and through me if I gave Him access to everything this summer? And I said, God, wherever you want to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want to reveal to me, God, I am listening and willing. And so we've been on this journey. The first week we talked about this idea of having the right guide. That if you're going on a journey, you need to follow the right person. Because if you just follow yourself, you're going to end up going where you've always been, right? And so, so we talked about what does it mean for God to guide our lives? What does it mean for Him not to just be our Savior, but, but to be the Lord of our life? Because there's a difference. When we say Lord, we say, God, you are in control, right? And so the second week we talked about you can't stay here. You know, before you go anywhere else, you have to have a little bit of resolve that right here is not okay. And so you got to have this stirring inside of you that says, okay, um, I, I want to go. And, and the problem is, is if we like here, if here's really comfortable, if here feels good and we've got a lazy boy recliner and we've really settled in, you know that feeling? We don't want to get up. We don't want to go. And so we have to, 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 to birth this holy discontent with not staying here so that we'll go there, because God has a there for each one of us that's better than here, right? Amen? And then last week, we answered the question, so how do we get there? Because sometimes when we see and start, God starts giving this, this vision and this idea and this beautiful picture of what He's doing in us and who we're going to become, it can be really overwhelming, and we can say, that's never going to happen. I mean, because I'm way over here, and this looks way over there, But so how do we get there? And so we talked about these baby steps, that a journey of a thousand miles just starts with what? One small step. 
and, and just one small step after one small step. And so we talked about some small steps that we can make in our life, in our, in our family, in our finances, in our, in our health, and in our walk with God that can help us to go from here to there. That little girl looking at me is so cute. So cute. Your eyes are so bright. So today we're asking this question of who am I? Who am I? Because the truth is, is sometimes I put this little, this little thing in your notes. Sometimes the longest, hardest, most uncomfortable journey we can go on is the one of self-discovery. Of finding out who we are and why it even, why it even matters. Who am I? That's a tough question. Do you remember, for, for the adults in the room, do you remember what it was like to be a teenager? And just, I mean, that's what those teenage years is all about, is trying to figure out, who am I? I mean, where do I fit in? And, and we go from group to group, from person to person, from, from different styles, trying to figure out what fits for us. You know, we have, you know, people that, 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 that teenage groups that, that, that are just all kinds of, that we just float from. Like, when I was in junior high, I, I thought I was going to be like this preppy kid. And so I dressed like like a like what we called like the preps in junior high. Do we still have those names nowadays, or is that really old fashioned? And uh, I, I so it was so far that I actually wore penny loafers, and I made sure the penny was in the loafer, you know, with heads up, you know, because it was. And and I rolled up. You remember rolling up your blue jeans? You did the fold over and the three rolls, and it looked absolutely ridiculous. Um, but that's what it was, you know, to be in that preppy group. Now I, there was no way I was actually going to be I was a football player and so it was a really kind of weird dichotomy going on here Um, but it's just that idea it's tough answering this question who am I and then like the mid-20s hit and we kind of start feeling like we have it all figured out on who we are and who we're going to be and we have all the answers just to discover in our 30s and 40s that we really have no clue of who we are does anybody ever been there before we hit the midlife crisis at some people and we buy sports cars and motorcycles and all, ki- <laughs> and all kinds of stuff trying to figure that out. Yeah, that's right. That's all about the gas mileage, right? Yeah. You know what? It is a, it is a wonderful feeling when we begin to feel like we've discovered and understand who we are and we settle it in our hearts It's a wonderful feeling to feel that settled feeling of, I know who I am. I know who I am. The psalmist wrote this in Psalms 100, verse 3. He said, let me tell you who you are. He said, know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves. Read this part with me. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He says, let me tell you who you are. You belong to God. You are God's creation. You are God's sheep. You are His. And He is your shepherd. This morning, I just want to give you three thoughts about who you are and who God has called you to be. Are you ready? The first one is this. Is that you're chosen for God. Who am I? Who are you? You are chosen for God. It's a great feeling being picked, isn't it? You remember that that feeling? Maybe it was you're chosen for a promotion. 
at work and, and you get that, and you're still like, man, my, my boss believes in me. Getting picked for something is just a good feeling inside. Or maybe it was when you were hired for a position. You put in your applications, all of a sudden you get the telephone call, you go in for the interview, and they don't even let you get out the room, or the next day they call you back and say, hey, we want you to be a part of our team. You belong with our culture and where we're going as a company. We choose you. That's a good feeling, right? Right? It's a good feeling. Someone's like, no, I would rather not work. So it's really, a kind of, I'd, I'd rather be at home. Or maybe it's being picked for a team. Or chosen to be loved. That another person looked at you and says, I want to love you. I want to spend my life with you. I want to care for you. I mean, that is a good feeling. You pick, you're picking me? I like to, uh, I go on vacations with my parents. Haley and I do. I don't know why. We're gluttons for punishment. I don't know what it is. But my, my parents, one of my, my parents' favorite places to vacation is Las Vegas. And so we've been to Las Vegas a couple times with them. And, um, and, and so we were in Las Vegas. And one of the things that Haley and I like to do is go to shows. And uh, so we went, every time we go, we try to go to two or three different shows. Or, or sometimes it's the same show over and over again because they're just so funny and we want to have a good time. Um, but it's re- regardless of what show we are at, if they ask for audience participation, I know that my wife is going to be screaming like a madwoman my name so that she can see me get up on get up on the stage. It doesn't fail. It doesn't care. It doesn't matter which show we're at. She's going to be screaming like a mad person. So it's like we have an audience. Jared Nine. We were watching this one guy. Um, I don't remember his name. He was on America's Got Talent. And he does like this this uh, this. The, the comedy, but but it's like physical comedy. And it was getting towards the end of the show. You know, you're thinking the grand finale is about to come up. And he says, hey, I need two, you know, two volunteers to come up. And here goes my wife screaming like a mad lady, Jared Nunn. He says, well, only name I can hear is Jared Nunn. So Jared Nunn, how about you come on up? And I'm like elbowing my wife like, what are you doing? The next thing you know, I'm up on stage holding a unicycle on one, his hand in the other, his face, his palm buried in my face, his booty like right here, and throwing marshmallows up in the air while he catches them for like, it is absolutely ridiculous. She got it all on video. And so if you want to see it, ask Haley sometime to show you the video. It is absolutely embarrassing, but absolutely hilarious and she loved it she thinks it's funny but she doesn't like when i call out her name but she wants uh she wants me to get up there but at the same time it still feels good to be picked to be up there to know that they chose me but can i tell you something this morning god chose you god the king of kings the lord of lords the creator of all he chose you to be a part of his family. If you don't believe what I say, look at the, the scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. It says, even before he made the world, read the bold part with me, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Now let that sink in. Before he formed any of this stuff together, he chose you. He loved you. To do what? To be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now what we have to understand about this holiness is that when, when God chose us to be holy, that, that doesn't really have a whole lot of, to do with what we do in our life. 
Because actually the word holy means to be set apart. And so what that means is, is that God chose you. He set you apart for His family. It's not about performance. It's not about doing right. It's not about all that stuff. Simply by Him calling you out and saying, you are now a part of my family. You are now holy and set apart for the use of God. He said, I chose you to be holy and without fault. What that means is, is through the eyes of Jesus, He sees you as is perfect and blameless and, and holy in his eyes. Read on, it says, And God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So he says, not only has he chosen you, but now he calls you one of his children. He calls you a part of his family. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and giving His life and being raised from the dead, if we call Him Lord and Savior, if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved and we are adopted into His family. Amen? And then He says this, this is the, the best part about the passage. And it says this is what He wanted to do. It's not because you were incredibly good looking. It's not because of all that you have to offer and all the skill set and all the money and all the stuff that you could give the kingdom. Why did he do it? It's because he wanted to. And then it says, and it gave him great pleasure. He calls you his child and he has chosen you for his family because you bring him joy. He calls you one of his kids because you make him smile. Bless you. First Peter 2, 9 says it this way. Read it with me, the bold part. It says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You're chosen. He says, you're a royal priest. You're a holy nation. You're God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You've been chosen. You're royalty. You're holy. You're God's very own. Who are you? You're chosen for God. You're one of His kids. You're chosen. Here's a second thought. Not only are you chosen for God, but you're called to represent God. You're called to represent Him. Peggy Bartels, um, she's a secretary that works for the Embassy of Ghana in, in, in Washington, D.C. She's done it for over 30 years. In the summer of 2008, her life changed forever. At about 1 o'clock in the morning, she started receiving telephone calls. And she said, you know what, I just thought it was somebody being ridiculous and crank calls, so I just ignored it and just tried to stay asleep. She said, but eventually I got frustrated. And at about 4 o'clock, when the calls just kept going, she said, you know what, I'm just going to get up and I'm answering and I'm going to figure out what's going on. And on the other line was her cousin from Ghana, who had, who had called to inform her that her uncle, who was the king of her village of Atoam, um, had passed away. And that the elders met and they had decided that she was going to be the next king. King Peggy. And so she immediately got, in, got on a plane and flew back to Ghana to be introduced as the new king of Atoam. Now it's not queen, because she says queens in their culture have, have kind of like a view of taking care of the, the, the village and kind of a motherly view. But they wanted her to be king. They wanted her to rule the village. They wanted her to be the deciding factor. And said, they said, you are King P. 
Peggy. This is actually Peggy as, um, you have that picture there, falling back there. Um, this is, yeah, do the other one. This is King Peggy as um, the, the, the secretary in Washington, D.C. And now the next picture is King Peggy, um, the new king of Atoam in Ghana. And she said, here's the thing about being a king in Ghana. Being a king in Ghana doesn't mean you're like royalty that other people serve. You just don't sit in a hut and or on a throne and and let people come up and serve you and act like and, and they're your your subjects and they're there to provide for you and make sure that you have everything you want. She said a king in Ghana is there to serve the people. And she said the best thing that she could do is to continue to be a secretary in Ghana because of all the or in Washington DC because of all the the resources that she have. And so she continued work as being a secretary and she would fly back to Ghana occasionally to help rule her people. She says, my job is to represent them. My job is to make their lives better. And she did. And she has. And since she became king, she's brought running water to their village where they hadn't had running water before. She is, she's provided computers in their schools where they had never had computers before. Now they have working toilets. Something, the things that we take for granted, she has brought to her people because she wants her people's lives to be better. She says, this is an incredible opportunity for me to do good for my people. King Peggy, how cool is that? Can you imagine waking up one morning with a telephone call saying, Hey, Amir, you're the new king of Atoam. How crazy would that be? <laughs> Her sister's like, what? His, what? His sister. Now here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, you already have. You already are. If you're a follower of Jesus, the day you committed your life to Jesus, the day that God breathed His Spirit and it came into you, your past was forgiven. And not only was your past forgiven, but He gave you His Spirit and you became a child of the King. And what does that make you? Royalty. You are forever different. You have a new purpose and a new meaning for this life. Paul kind of gives us a little bit of an idea of what that purpose and meaning is in 2 Corinthians 5, 19-20. Listen to what it says. It says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave who? Us. This wonderful message of reconciliation. Okay, let's stop there. What is this passage saying? It's saying that, that God in Christ began to reconcile, began to make this world right and to bring people into a right relationship with Him. And the way He did that was through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. He said, if you confess Him as Lord and Savior, He is no longer counting your sins against you. He's making you right. And He says, now I've given you this wonderful message of reconciliation. Read this next part with me. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Now let the weight of those verses settle on your shoulders. Ambassadors that speak on behalf of Jesus 
come back to God. He is making His appeal to this world through our voices and our lives. And you say something, that's scary. That He's choosing us. That our mouths represent Him. I just have to ask you, what kind of ambassador are you being? If you're speaking on behalf of God as a follower of His, what are you speaking into the lives of the people around you? Just a few thoughts. Are you ready? We're ambassadors of God's love. That's what He wants us to be ambassadors of. If, if you don't miss anything today, don't miss this. We have an opportunity to be the love of God to a world that is desperate for His love. 1 John 4.8 says, If you don't love, you don't know God. Because God is love. Are you hearing this? If you don't love, you don't know God. Because God is love. If you're not a loving person, then you don't know God. If love doesn't come out of you, you don't know Him. Because God is love. That's, that's John. This is His holy word. This is not Jared speaking. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you're His dear children. Read the next part with me. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Are you an example of the love of God? If you want to know, ask your family. Ask your coworkers. Ask the people you encounter at the grocery store. Would they say you represent God's love? Well, what does it mean to be loving? To love means to be nice. Look at your neighbor, the person sitting next to you, and just simply say, be nice. Now say it, say it with a right heart. <laughs> Not be nice. Just say, just say, now be nice. Be nice. Listen, some of the meanest people that I have encountered have been church people. Yeah? Some of the meanest people. And if we wear the name of Jesus, we should be nice. It should soften our nature. There's been more damage done to the name of Christ because of mean Christians than anything else. John Barrier, I don't, John, John Barrier, um, walked into a bank in Spokane, Washington. Um, he was, he was dirty, blue jeans, a kind of a ripped up shirt, um, full of just dirt and grime, and he was there to cash a check. And after he cashed his check, he handed the clerk his parking ticket and said, I'd like to, would you validate my parking? They're in an area that, that he had to, to pay to park. And uh, the, 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 the cashier looked at him and said, um, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Um, you have to complete a transaction to be able to uh, have your parking validated. And he said, well, I did complete a transaction. I had my cash check. And he said, cashing a check is not a transaction. You have to do official bank business. And he said, sir, can I just see your manager for a second? He says, you don't need to see my manager. You didn't do a transaction and you have to do a transaction to get your parking validated. And John just stepped back and he said, you know what? Bring your manager over here. I I want to withdraw all my money from the bank. And the guy was like, okay, no big deal. What's your name? He unplugged his name and he said, "Uh, let me go get my manager. 
He decided to close his account that day, and inside of his account was over $2 million. John Barrier owned a remodeling company that did renovations all over Spokane City. And uh, even though he was wearing crummy, blue, crummy, grimy blue jeans and a t-shirt, it's because he'd been working on things. And it cost that bank over $2 million worth of transactions because he took his money out that day, took it to a bank up the street, and deposited it there. He says, I want to do business with somebody who treats people fair, that treats people nice. The local town picked up on it, and they did an interview with the bank. And as they were talking to the bank manager, the bank manager said the teller made a mistake that day. He made a mistake in thinking John was just an ordinary customer. And then he said this, no one is. No one is an ordinary customer. Every person that walks in our bank deserves respect and love and honor. It cost us $2 million. Now there's been much more damage to the name of Jesus than $2 million because of mean Christians. To love means to be nice. It also means to be kind. Anyone like doing random acts of kindness? One of my favorite things about doing random acts of kindness is seeing the shock on people's faces. Because it's the little stuff, buying a coffee or or buying a drink or giving someone a, a generous tip that makes a big difference in someone's life. And people want to know, why would you do that? Why do you give that random thing? Why do you bless me in that way? Why would you do that? And the simple answer is, is we just want to be kind. To to love is to be kind. And here's a, a third one. It's really tough. To love is to be forgiving. Now, how many of you are willing to admit this? We're in church, okay? How many of you would be willing to admit that God has forgiven you of more than you'll ever be able to repay? Yeah, every single one of us. Yeah, me too. And here's the great thing, is that you don't have to. God doesn't ask you to repay Him for His forgiveness and for His grace, but He does expect you to give it to others. Some of the harshest words that Jesus had were in Matthew chapter 6, where He says, if you aren't willing to forgive them, then your Heavenly Father is not willing to forgive you. To love is to be forgiving. To love is to be kind. To love is to be nice. We are called to be ambassadors of God's love. Here's a second thought. We're called to be ambassadors of God's generosity. People in the room that know John 3.16, start saying it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. He gave. We live in a culture that says it's every man for themselves, right? Every woman for themselves. It's all about what you can get, what you can hoard, what you can grasp. You look out for you because nobody else is going to. And that's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. In the midst of all of that stuff that we live in, we serve a God that comes giving. And we represent a God who is generous. Look at Psalms 37.21. It says, The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. They're generous givers. 
Psalms 112.4 says, Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Ron White uh, attended the church um, that I worked at in North Phoenix. Um, when he first came to the Lord, he, he married a girl um, that grew up in the church, but he didn't. And when he married um, Karen, one of the things that they kind of worked out in their family is that Karen would, that he had his own business, his own electrical company, and Karen would kind of handle the finances and, you know, for the home and for the business, and, you know, he handled other things, and that just was their division of labor. He says, one Saturday night, I came into the office while she was doing everything and paying bills and stuff, and and I saw her writing the tithe check, and I was like, whoa, 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 woman, what are you doing writing, giving that much money to the church? And uh, she said, well, well, Ron, um, that's what we do. <laughs> We're followers of Jesus, and the Bible says for us to give and to tithe. And, and he's like, are you out of your mind? I mean, we cannot give that much. So she said, no, God has given everything to us and has blessed us, and, and I just believe that we're to give back to him. And he said, well, fine, let's go talk to the preacher about it. And so they made an appointment to speak to Dave Sebastian, who was the preacher at the time. And, 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 and Ron just said, Pastor Dave, you're just going to have to explain to me about this whole tithing thing. I don't understand why my wife is writing such a big check to the church. I mean, that's a lot of money. And he says, well, well Ron, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says to tithe, and a tithe means to give 10% back to God. And I mean, if you think about it, God's being really generous to us because he's only asking for 10 and he's letting you live off of 90 and he's being generous with us and so we need to be generous with him. He's like, well, you know, after them talking it out, Ron just finally said, okay, you know, if that's what it means and that's what we'll do as a family. And so they started tithing and and he backed off of Karen and he let her, you know, continue to write those checks the way God was putting it on her heart. Their electrical business took off. They started hiring more employees and the finances really began to multiply. And over a, a couple of years later, they're making significantly more money and he walked into the same office and he noticed Karen writing at the check and he was like, whoa, Karen, you got to slow down. That is way too much money to be giving to the church. I mean, what we were giving, I was comfortable with, but, but this is a lot of money. She says, let's not do this again. If you don't, if you really want to go there, let's just go talk to Pastor Dave and we'll settle this with Pastor Dave. And so they went and they talked to Pastor Dave and Ron just said, look, preacher, you know, I didn't mind giving what we were giving before. You know, it kind of grew on me, but we're giving a whole lot of money now. I mean, this is a lot. You really don't expect us to give that much to the church. And Dave just said, well, Ron, I, God's word says a tithe, you know, and, and that's what, that's what it says. And so, you know, I know it must be really hard for you. And so let's do this. Let's the three of us hold hands together and we'll just agree to God in prayer, um, that God would shrink your business back to where it was, to where you feel more comfortable giving your tithe check. And he, and Ron said he just slipped his hand in the pocket and said, I, I think you got a point. I'm okay. <laughs> I think I get it. Let's not go there. But it's a beautiful truth, right? That God has been generous with us. Um, and God has done really good things for our... And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm just talking about the goodness that God has poured in our lives. 
And how ridiculous would it be for us to hoard the goodness of God and not be generous in pouring it out into other people's lives? They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. We're ambassadors of God's generosity. Here's the third thing. We're ambassadors of God's grace. We live in a dark world and it is God's desire to shine His grace and love through us. He has chosen us to be His light to do just that. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came, this is Jesus talking, He came to seek and save those who are lost. And then John 20.21 says, And again He said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, so I am sending you. You, agents of God's grace. You, seeking and saving those who are lost. You, using your life to point people back towards Jesus. We are ambassadors of His grace. You were called. You were called to represent God. Who am I? You're called to represent God. Here's the last thought. Is that you were created to serve God. If you've ever wondered why in the world you were here, you're here to serve Him. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship. Read the part in bold with me. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's why you're here. Created to do good in this world. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Just in case you thought it was a last minute decision. He prepared in advance for you to do good in this world. 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul's writing, he says, It is He who saved us and chose us for His holy work. Not because we deserved it, but because that was His plan long before the world Began. You were created to serve God. Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in California, he says, you know what? God gave every single person a certain shape to serve this world. And I just want to end with this thought. What is your shape? If God has created you to serve, then He's, he's created you, the person that you are, to, to use you to serve this world. And what does that look like? It's discovering your spiritual gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus, when you said yes to God, when you when He breathed His Holy Spirit inside of you and He became your Lord and Savior, He deposited a special gift in each and every one of you to serve the church. Every single one of us. Some of those gifts are serving. Some of those gifts are giving. Some of our teaching or preaching or leading. There's lots of different gifts. I put a couple passages of Scripture, 1 Peter 4.10 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, that you can read. And it will talk about these spiritual gifts that God has given us. 1 Corinthians 12.1 says this. He says, about your spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. And so he, Paul is saying, I, I want you to know what God has given you so that you can use it to further His kingdom. So S stands for spiritual gifts. H stands for your heart. What are you passionate about? What stirs you up inside? What is it that when you see it says, I have to do something about that? What are you passionate about? That's your heart. God has given each one of us certain passions inside. And we use those and those passions direct where we serve in this kingdom. A stands for your abilities. All of us are born with natural abilities. Some of you are are handy, you know, with your hands and can craft things. Um, some of you are like me and you like to talk in front of people. That's a natural ability that I've had since I was a little kid. 
Ever since first grade, if there was a skit or a play or something to be done and I had a chance to get up in front of people to talk, I was there. That's what I enjoy doing. It's an ability. Sarah has a talent with her hands and with, with making music. That's an ability. And, and God has given each one of us certain abilities to use for His kingdom. There's a couple of verses for you to look up. They're natural talents. P stands for your personality. How many of you are introverts in the room? You'd rather just not say anything in front of anybody. Anybody? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> introverts are just like, wait. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Sarah. Now people are looking at me. I don't want people to look at me. How many of you are extroverts? You could just get up and dance right now. Like, hey, I'm not worried. Everybody look. Yeah. That's part of your personality. Some of you are leaders and some of you are followers. It's not a bad thing to be a follower. Leaders have to have followers, right? It's not a bad thing. Some people are creative. You know, their minds think in creative ways. And some people are like facts and logic and reasoning. That's all part of your personality and your makeup. And part of your personality God uses to shape where you serve the church. And the last one is your experiences. It's what you've gone through. What you've seen. What you've been a part of. Oftentimes, God uses the pain of our past to redeem our future and other people's futures. It's your experience. It's how you were raised and what you've seen and what you've done. And Some of you may be excellent business leaders. And God is saying, I want you to use your talent, your business experience to further the kingdom of God. It's your experience. You were created to serve God. Who am I? Who are you? You're created to serve. You were called to represent God as His ambassador. And you were chosen to be one of His kids.